Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is The Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. B and I are here with you today. We're together. <laughs> and, and actually, disclaimer, we're not done with disclaimers yet. I had four births. We're still in the disclaimer season of our life. <laughs> I had four births this week. Three of them happened on one day. So, you know, there's been a lot of postnatal visiting and just, you know, caring for those women. So I feel less prepared than I wanted to be, but it's I feel like it's enough. So that's my disclaimer. I might not be bringing 100% to this episode, but people usually always still go, really? That was only 50%. It's still pretty good. So I'm banking on the fact that my 100% is amazing and maybe 50 is just pretty good. That's let's do that. I reckon I'm about 17% between the dog just vomiting everywhere, trying to do start my youngest at kinder and my eldest who doesn't want to go to school and all the IT issues in the world. You've got me at 17% today. Well, like everyone else is like, good, good. They're at 17 and 50%. We're at 23. This is going to work. We've almost got a whole 100% between you, me, and the listener right now. So right. let's do this. So a combined effort of 67%. And today we're talking about low-lying placenta. Uh, Some research papers will describe low-lying placenta as like a minor or marginal placenta previa. And then there's a complete placenta previa or partial placenta previa. This episode, I want to talk about low-lying placentas or low-lying or mild or marginal placenta previas where the placenta's not over your cervix. So that's my second disclaimer already for the episode is the terminology we're going to use. Um, all right, so what is low-lying placenta and how often does it happen? So, okay, anatomy lesson, everybody. When you get pregnant, your baby makes its own placenta. And so it that the sperm meets the egg and it floats down your fallopian tube and into your uterus and it's looking for a place to implant. So it finds a spot, anchors itself, and that little anchor grows into the placenta. The baby makes it. And so its position is all just based on where your little fertile egg landed and implants, correct? Yes, so and that is physiological. Exactly. So it implants itself and then its baby grows its own placenta. So that's the baby genetic material. So go you and your womb and, and your baby for doing that. Exactly. And so the placenta position, no one does anything wrong. You can't actually change or decide where your placenta implants. That's all just a matter of chance. So if it's low-lying, you didn't do that. Your baby's also not to blame. So it's just where it landed, okay? So low-lying means that your placenta is positioned 0.1 millimetres to 
20 millimeters from your cervix. So 0.1 to like two centimeters from your cervix. So the very edge, two centimeters away. If it's within that margin, it's considered low lying. If it's more than two centimeters from your cervix or 20 millimeters from your cervix, it's low in your uterus, but it's not classified as low lying. But your when you get an ultrasound, whoever does your ultrasound will report how far from your cervix your placenta is, and they'll give it a name. So they'll say either not low lying or low lying and measures this far from the cervix. And they'll say the internal os of the cervix. So there's two muscles that hold your cervix closed, a bottom one and a top one. And that's the top one is the internal os. And that's where they measure it from. So that's what low lying placenta is. It's diagnosed by ultrasound. So most women will choose to have an ultrasound in their second trimester, somewhere between 18 and 20 weeks. And in Australia, we call it morphology scan. Some other places called anatomy scan or whatever it is. But it's fairly routine. One of the things they do in it is check where your placenta is and what it's like. And one of the things they do will measure how far it is from the cervix. So about 8 to 10%, depending on which paper you read, 8 to 10% of women will have a placenta that's low-lying or a placenta previa. But only 0.5% will persist to be that until uh, at the time of giving birth. So of that 8 to 10%, only half a percent will persist to be low-lying. Today we're talking about low-lying, just reiterating. <laughs> All right. So once it's Bee's still eating lollies and smiling at me, I appreciate that, Bee. It's, I feel like you're enjoying my presentation today. It's just a one-on-one. I'm just getting, I'm just getting <laughs> free CPD while I bask in my sugar and emotions. Exactly, and you didn't even have to get dressed. I am dressed, though. I know, I'm just saying you didn't have to. All right, so what happens if you have low-lying placenta? There's so many different scenarios here, and I did a post on Instagram today just explaining what low-lying placenta is and how it moves on a balloon. So if you want to go look at that video, it's myself and my daughter explaining placenta location and how it changes as you gestate. Half of the listeners just went on to see your daughter. They're like, oh, I want to see my daughter. She's so cute. Little Frida, she's divine. And if it's been diagnosed as low-lying, your practitioner will likely recommend that you have a follow-up ultrasound. You were saying you could go on Instagram and see how it moves. Correct. So if it's low-lying and you get a repeat ultrasound, you will see the most likelihood is is that as your pregnancy goes on, your placenta is going to get further and further and further away from your cervix. So this is the interesting part, right? Because I remember even like 10 years ago, research came out that was like, it's so common and the research says that it because of that growth of the uterus and that lower segment growing later in pregnancy, that it's, you know, what what the research was saying, and I don't know this paper and you've done the research, so you'll be able to clarify what it actually says. But because that growth happens, that a low-lying placenta doesn't need 
re-scanning was was the research at the time. I remember it coming out and just being like, oh, this will be interesting to see if, if it's implant if it's implemented or not. I thought it was really thoughtful because it was basically saying there's no need for a rescan unless there are symptoms or issues that present. But 10 years later, I'm still seeing, I don't even know if it was 10, it might have been eight or something, but we're still seeing that rescanning is routine when this is diagnosed at 20 weeks. Correct. So I'll, I'll run you through some research about that because it. I think it really depends on where you're going to give birth. So for me as a home birth midwife, if a client of mine has a low-lying placenta, I let them know that there's a very, very, very good chance that their placenta is going to not be that close when they're about to give birth. And if that's the case, we don't have a problem. In the 0.5% group, so the half a percent chance that it doesn't move, that can present some issues depending on the location of the placenta, how close it is, and what kind of resources are available to this woman in terms of which hospital and where where they live. The other reason, so yes, if I think if you're planning a home birth, it's a nice idea to recheck just on the odd chance that yours is the one that doesn't move. But also, I don't necessarily 100% trust that ultrasounds are always accurate. And so, oh, right, I know, shock horror. And so for those that didn't, I just pulled a face. That's why <laughs> I was doing that. You mean machines can't tell us everything, Mel? And and humans are fallible. Did you know <gasps> that? What? I know. Everything's so, not perfect. Like the song, there's a song that told me everything was perfect. It's just not. It's unfortunately not. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could be 100% bang on every time we did anything? No, that would be boring. We'd have nothing to learn. You know, I just feel like there's possibility for misdiagnosis. The research suggests actually they can measure within the millimeter, which, okay, amazing. So is that, the, so the research is saying the accuracy of the scan is really good? Yes. Okay. Well, that's, that's, um, oh, that's great. It's good. There's a few options too. It could be a transvaginal ultrasound where they put the ultrasound thing up your vagina. And measure that way. It's called a probe, Mel. <laughs> the thing I, I was about to say another word. All about the research and the non-correct terms here. The probe, uh, which they very awkwardly put a condom on when they yeah, do. They make it, they make it phallic-like, so we all believe that our vaginas are phallic-shaped. Yeah, so anyway, that's how they'll often measure it. But there was a really good research paper that I looked at which talked about the accuracy of external abdominal ultrasound versus transvaginal ultrasound. And if you do the ultrasound later in the pregnancy, like 36 weeks instead of at the usual 32 weeks, they actually found that there's pretty good accuracy with the 36-week abdominal ultrasound versus the 32-week transvaginal ultrasound. So I have had clients who've declined a follow-up based on the fact that it was going to be a vaginal ultrasound and were happy to have a repeat ultrasound if it was done abdominally. So chat to the sonographer and to your clinician if you think, no, don't want a repeat ultrasound, talk to them about why because there's usually a way to work around it. And I also had another client who had low-lying placenta and her placenta was posterior, so at the back. So you imagine the baby's in front of the placenta 
when they're doing the ultrasound. And it was recommended to her that she have a repeat ultrasound, but she didn't want a transvaginal one. So the sonographer said, okay, well, if we do the ultrasound at 28 weeks, the repeat ultrasound at 28 weeks, maybe your baby won't be too big to actually be sitting in front of the placenta and I'll be able to measure it. And it and they did. They measured it. It was further away than before. So that told us that it was going to go, that it wasn't misdiagnosed as a previa. And it was, you know, more than two centimetres by that time. So, you know, we managed to get the information by just working together with the sonographer and working out another way. And that's what it's all about, right? And and it's about effective communication and collaboration and just a lot of love to people that don't have that and don't have the support to feel like they can speak for themselves. But just remember, our babies need us to be mm-hmm. badass, wise people, not good girls. But if the sonographer is really adamant it needs to be transvaginal, often that's a beautiful indicator of where they're at and what they're confident with. Um rather than what the research states, as as Mel has said, and, and it'll be in the show, in in the folder, that the research supports that abdominal ultrasound later. So just to recap, what happens is the placenta implants, if it has placented in that lower segment of the uterus, as opposed to the upper segment, which is closer to your ribs. So lower segment is closest to the cervix and the vagina, right? So the lower part the funnel that goes into the cervix. So have a quick Google search if you need to, just so you've got a beautiful clear picture in your head of what the lower segment is. That part grows second or later in the pregnancy, which is why the rescan happens at 28 to 32 weeks because that part of the uterus hasn't yet stretched or needed to stretch in order to make way for your baby. So 99.5% of people who have a diagnosis at 20 weeks with that placenta, either 0.1 millimetres to 2 centimetres or 20 millimetres away from the cervix, 99.5% of those people will not have placenta previa. They will have a placenta that moves up, up, up and away. Is that correct? I just wanted to recap because I feel like... It's fairly correct. I've got... I'll break down the stats on percentages but yes the vast majority more than 99 percent of low-lying placentas will not be low-lying from 28 weeks right which is when the rescan happens so just a lot of reassurance if you are listening to this between that 20-week ultrasound and your rescan just a lot of love hopefully that this little bit so far has made you go Mm -hmm. because what's happening is that women are having the ultrasound and 8 to 10% of women are being told, oh, your placenta is low-lying. And then if you're in a a program like MGP, midwifery group practice program, or a home birth program through a public service, they this is my massive bugbear, is before even a retest is done, they start to talk to women about, what will happen to them if the test comes back and it's still low-lying, right? So they'll start to tell women, oh, you might have to have a cesarean. If it's still low-lying, you can't be on the home birth program anymore. If this happens, you can't have this. And it's like, mate, the chances are is that that won't happen. Meanwhile, this poor woman's just being grilled about all the things that are going to be taken away from her if her placenta doesn't perform in the way that they want it to. So all my epic colleagues that I've worked with in publicly funded home birth, 
and caseload. We've never done that. So just standing up for those of us that don't. I'm I'm sure it's becoming more tick box to talk about these things. It's always like, this could happen to you, this could happen to you, this could happen to you. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's some of us that don't do it. I, I haven't heard that people that that's happening, but I can imagine that it probably does. So if it's happened to you, yeah, just big exhale and big oh, right. Okay, they're just telling you those things just in case you're in the one percent. And yeah, some of us will be in the one percent, right? That's that's fact, but you've got a 99% roughly chance that it's actually going to move away because of normal physiology of how the uterus grows. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean. 8%. That's a lot of people. That is 30,000 people every year. In Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, in Australia. Inside Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and. There's actually very good research. There was a great research paper in 2017 by Durst et al. And they had a total of 1,663 women, which is a lot of women in in this kind of a study that were diagnosed with low-lying placenta. And they were seeking to understand what the resolution rates were. So... And they divided it up between the distance. So if the distance, original distance, when you had your ultrasound was one between one and two centimetres away from the cervix, then 99.5% of those resolved by the time they had the follow-up ultrasound. If it was 0.1 to one centimetre, so 0.1 mil to 10 mils from the cervix, 95.4% 95.4% of those resolved. But if there was a placenta previa where it was lying over the cervix, 72.3% of those resolved. And the time, the rough time it took, if it was further away from the cervix originally, between 7 to 12 weeks, you can expect that to have resolved. So, you know, the later you go for your ultrasound, the more likely it is that it will have resolved. If it was between 1 mil and 10 mils, then it could take between 9 to 15 weeks. It just takes longer to get further away. So the recheck point should be past the 32-week mark, past the 12-week window but the further along you get it tested the more likely it is that it will have moved by then so you know it's it's fairly pointless to do a a quick follow-up you know a few weeks after doesn't give you much information you got to wait you know 12 to 15 weeks to get a good result but yeah and the conclusion from that particular study was is that low-lying placenta all placenta previa diagnosed in the mid-trimester anatomy scan, so that 18 to 20-week scan, resolution is near universal in women whose initial distance was one centimetre or greater from the cervix. So it's good news. Bees just mathsing in her head there yeah yeah it's just making it's there's centimeters and millimeters there's as i said there's not a lot of capacity today so it takes me a while to just convert but you said that right right so one millimeter or no you said 
Yeah, one millimeter. One centimeter, though. You said because that's the research that it's from one centimeter, it's universal. Yes, it's almost universal. If it's further than one centimeter from your cervix, the chances of it not being there in X scan is 99.5%. If it was less than one centimeter, then it's 95.4% chance of resolution. Okay. Still very high. They're very good statistics. I'd be very confident with those statistics and I'd be talking to my womb and my uterus because that's the kind of person I am now. I wasn't. (laughs) When I was pregnant, I definitely wasn't that person. So just be wherever you need to be in this pregnancy. But I'd be chatting to them and going, all right, let's go. Well, and I've had three clients have low-lying placenta this year. And all of them resolved, which is statistically what would have happened. There was one particular woman who was quite nervous. She might be listening to this. Hi, guys. They had the baby this week too, like three weeks ago. And hers was low-lying. And then when we rechecked it, it was like 12 and a half centimetres away from the cervix. She's like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. But that's what happens. Yeah. Well, the uterus is going to grow. And if you are on the mailing list of this podcast, you have access to the resource folder. The resource folder is actually really full this time. I put heaps of papers in there. And if you're looking for the one about external ultrasound versus the vaginal one, it's by Eid from E-I-D et al. from 2020. And they reported a 99% resolution weight as well. And they called for abdominal ultrasound at 36 weeks rather than a transvaginal at 32 weeks. And what I love, the reason they suggested it was for the sake of women's comfort. They're like, we don't need to put probes in their vaginas. Actually, to make them more comfortable, we could actually ultrasound them at 36 weeks transabdominally instead of transvaginally. They're like starting to look at people's emotions and feelings, which we still don't do at the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare when it comes to birth. We do not report on that stuff. I know. Let's, yeah, let's keep moving on before I really don't get. We're going to dive in. Yes. So I hope, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place here, but we've just learned what what low-lying placenta is, the anatomy of that, how you diagnose it, the likelihood that it will resolve how you diagnose if it will resolve. And the next question women often ask is, as you did, B, if it's got such a high chance of resolving, why would I recheck? So do we really need to recheck? I think this depends on a lot, and particularly here in Australia, the quality of our services and the resources in our services vary so wildly across the country. So we're really spread out here in Australia. A lot of our services are rural and don't necessarily have all of the resources and speed that we have access to in bigger hospitals. But, yes, people that live in remote and people that service remote areas are often highly, highly, highly skilled. They have to be because they have to be ready for everything and anything. Right. But, I mean, there's definite scarcity in resources and opportunities in more rural places. Yeah, just even hands on deck and equipment and ability to access things like surgery like yeah that's a and things like transport so I think rechecking can be a really nice idea if you know the service that you are in is under-resourced or 
that perhaps if it was if your placenta was still low lying, their policy would be to transfer you somewhere else, then you probably need to know what if you are in that small percentage of women whose placenta hasn't moved out of the way so you can plan your care. It sometimes depends on hospital policies, so you might be at the mercy of those. Also, sometimes ultrasounds can be wrong the first time. So just checking that, you know, they were right before things start to impact your birth. And also, if you're planning on giving birth at home outside of a hospital where, again, access to emergency care if something like a bleed, intrapartum bleed should happen, which can be the situation with low-lying placentas is you can actually bleed during your labour because of the placenta detaching slightly. And when you when your placenta is detaching, that's less blood that's going to your baby during labour, which is not ideal. And you, if it's low-lying, you might want to be in a place that can manage that fast. If you're planning a home birth, yeah, I would recheck it. If your place that you're birthing is under-resourced or would normally transfer you somewhere else for higher acuity care, then yeah, maybe recheck so you know if you're in that category or not. So, so far also the research suggests we should be rechecking. If you don't want to, know that the chances are is that you will be absolutely fine. The next question is, and this was a massive thing when I first started, is can I have a vaginal birth if my placenta is low-lying, less than two centimetres from your cervi- from the cervical os? Okay, so I've had clients who were given cesarean sections because of low-lying placenta way back, you know, 15 years ago. That was, I think was fairly common, that if it was less than 1.5 centimetres from your cervix, they would recommend a cesarean section. But that's not what the research is saying. The research currently is giving us a suggestion that every woman should be given an opportunity to have a vaginal birth if that's what they want to do with low-lying placenta and just giving a whole lot of education around that and what the potential risks are if your placenta is less than two centimetres from your cervix. But really, if it's less than one centimetre from your cervix, you're going to be the one that has a bit of a more complex decision to make. If it's more than one centimetre away from your cervix, then a lot of the research is on board with like unequivocally vaginal birth is a better option in terms of safety than cesarean section. The the tough decision-making point is between one millimetre and 10 millimetres. But again, most of those are resolved. So it's a small, small, small percentage of women who need to make this decision. So I've got studies on that. And to answer the question, can I have a vaginal birth if my placenta is low-lying and less than two centimetres from the cervix? The answer is yes, yes, you can. You should at the very least be given an opportunity to try that. So I believe that cesarean sections, I know this could be like controversial these days, but that's an emergency birth option. That's very rarely needs to be an elective birth option. We've got a problem in this country where 38 to 40% of the time we believe that women need to have their babies by cesarean section, and that's insane. So this is one of the circumstances where you don't have to have an elective cesarean section. You can be offered 
to give birth vaginally as an option and the the research supports that. So if your care provider is like, oh, sorry, your placenta's low-lying, you're going to have to have a cesarean section, either they know the limitations of the service that they're working in or they're yet to fully understand the research and their learning on this topic ended 15 years ago. She's laughing. <laughs> Bee's laughing at me. You are asking for it from this podcast. You, you went from disclaimers to like, I'm going for it. And I am just here for the ride. I'm not even going to interrupt you. I'm just going to like sit here now. Well, the reason I'm saying that is there's recent research. This guy, this person, Jansen, I don't yeah, want to say I that. know. It's just the big, it's the big Mel statements, but I go know. for it. Go I for it. <laughs> Look, I've been in trouble for so many things on social media this week. I'm done. I've been called all kinds of names. I had somebody say to me, I would hate to be a woman in your care. Um, the, it was in response to a post I put about sort of choosing a cause and and running with it and just picking something to fight for in this world. And anyway, I wrote back to her a very stern message. So this person, Jansen et al, 2019, I'm bees laughing, she's had too much sugar anyway, did a systematic review and meta-analysis of all the low-lying placenta research and they found 10 good quality papers to include. So the paper of the title of this paper, the paper of this title was. No, the title of this paper. I know, I stuffed it up and I just ran with it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was vaginal delivery in women with low-lying placenta, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And it was published in a good quality journal. So I'm grateful that they collected these 10 papers. I want also the people to understand that although it looks like there's not very many numbers in this paper, so there's there's around 550. I'll have, I'll have to give you the exact numbers when I'm looking directly at it. But that's because most of the time it resolves. And so there's always going to be this tiny, tiny number of women that we can actually study. So people are like, oh, that's not many people in that study. Well, it's not, but most of them who had low-lying placenta resolved. So we, they're not even part of this study. I'm currently finding the paper. Here it is. All right. Jansen, Vaginal Delivery in Women with Low-Lying Placenta, Systematic Review, 2019. The tweetable abstract. I hate that they do that, but some papers will tell you what to tweet about. So the tweetable abstract (laughs) is that this systematic review demonstrates the possibility of vaginal delivery, we're going to say vaginal birth, in women with low-lying placenta within two centimetres of the cervix. No information whatsoever. Don't tweet that. Uh, what you're going to tweet is, listen to episode 69 of The Great Birth Rebellion. That is a tweetable abstract. Are we on episode 69? Oh, I knew you were going to do that when I said 69. Yes, I believe so. Just for context, Mel and I normally do a catch-up and we normally take like an hour to catch up every week, depending on how long it's been like and what's been happening. And that hasn't happened today. And I feel like the lesson is 
then it hasn't happened because we I have to go really soon. And I think the lesson here is we need to do a catch up before we record because there's a you've got a lot of feelings, honey. I can see there's a lot going on for you, which I I can understand why. I I also yeah, <laughs> am the same. So um, yeah. just hopefully this isn't the first time you've listened to us. This isn't how we normally do business, but we're getting the research across. I do I do have to send love to people that want to have an elective cesarean. You can have an elective cesarean if you want. You one. totally can. I'm just saying. I know, but your comment was oh. Babe, and I was like, let it go. And then I'm like, no, nah, I have to say something. Okay. No, I'm not saying what bugs me is not, I think women should be able to choose. What bugs me is that often the care providers are choosing for women and they're telling them you have to have a cesarean section instead of saying to them, if you choose a cesarean section, here's the risks and benefits. And if you choose a vaginal birth, here are the risks and benefits. So and I've got no time. Didn't come across like that though. Okay, I, I apologize. Some people, for others, it might have. But people need to know that the most common reason for having a cesarean in this country is a repeat cesarean section. So, you know, what we're about here is really preventing that first cesarean section if it's not wanted. Yeah. So, yeah, 100% Mel and I are on board with that. We're also on board with choice. Beautiful. Okay. So, the conclusion of this study, of the Janssen study, was that a low-lying placenta is not a contraindication for trial of labour. So what that means is giving women an opportunity to have a vaginal birth. And the morbidity in these women is not increased. So basically the rate of complication is not increased. However, women with a low-lying placenta have a higher chance of emergency caesarean section compared with women with the placenta outside of the lower uterine segment, so more than to centimetres. Therefore, shared decision-making is mandatory in a case of trial of labour. No way. Are you serious? Shared decision-making. Can you believe it? That's what they're recommending. And that's because so often clinicians are the ones to decide how a woman will give birth. And this paper is saying, maybe you should talk to the woman and see what she wants. So as I said, they looked at 10 articles and what they said was vaginal birth was successful at at a at a distance of zero millimeters to one centimeter from the cervix. Forty three percent of women in this study gave birth vaginally, and part of them would have chosen cesarean section before that. Part of them needed to have a cesarean section during labor because of bleeding, intrapartum bleeding. So if your placenta is less than one centimetre away from your cervix and you opt to have a vaginal birth, there's a 43% chance that that will happen. If the distance is 11 to 20 millimetres from your cervix, you've got an 85% chance of having a vaginal birth which in Australia is pretty good based on the fact that our stats are that women, 38% 38 to 40% of women are having cesarean sections. So anything greater really than 11 millimetres, according to this study, gives you an 85% chance of a vaginal birth. If it's greater than two centimetres, get this, your chance of vaginal birth goes down. 
82%. So you're more likely to have a normal vaginal birth if your placenta is between 11 and 22 millimeters from your cervix than if it was further away. So, you know, the, the closer to your cervix, the more chance of bleeding in pregnancy or in labor um, and then requiring a cesarean section because of that. Uh, but postpartum hemorrhage was not related to the distance from your of your placenta to your cervix. So that, that's a very basic presentation of that paper. But what it's advocating for is for women to be offered the opportunity to have a vaginal birth. It's no longer the situation where, oh, well, it's low-lying, you need to have a cesarean section, but it may change where you choose to give birth. Okay, one more paper. I'll talk to you about one more paper. I know this is getting getting a lot. So this particular study by Frolinger et al., I can't say the name, but it was at a French site. Six tertiary maternity hospitals in France participated in this study. And so they collected as many cases as they could. And amongst 128,000 births, they only had 171 women that they could include because it's so rare that the placenta stays low-lying. So even though they did this over about five years, and had 128,000 births to choose from, only 171, 0.13% of women had a low-lying placenta. Now, 70 of those went into labour and 100 of those decided to have an elective caesarean section and they were looking at the rate of postpartum hemorrhage because this is also something that women are told, like if your placenta is low-lying, you're at more risk of a postpartum hemorrhage, so maybe you should just have a caesarean section. But the rate of severe postpartum hemorrhage was 22.9% for women who were having a vaginal birth and 23% for women who were having a cesarean section. And severe maternal and neonatal morbidity rates were also similar and the trial of labour was not, not significantly associated with a higher rate of severe postpartum hemorrhage. And they said they had a really low vaginal birth rate of the trial of labor group had a 50% chance of having a vaginal birth if the placenta was 11 to 20 millimeters from the cervix and only 18.5% with a distance of one mil to 10 mil. So, you know, this is only one study. The Janssen study had a much higher rate of vaginal birth, but their results support a policy of offering a trial of labor to women with a low-lying placenta uh, because the, the risk of postpartum hemorrhage is slightly lower if you have a normal vaginal birth versus cesarean section. So this is the other thing. When people say maybe you should have a cesarean section because you're at risk of a postpartum hemorrhage with low-lying placenta, you are also at risk of a postpartum hemorrhage when you have a cesarean section. So what this study has said is actually when you compare the risk of postpartum hemorrhage for vaginal birth and cesarean birth in this circumstance, you do not increase the risk of a severe postpartum hemorrhage. There are similar, similar chance of happening. I think I covered all the, you know, like the big things that people are told about low-lying placentas. 
just in those studies, but there's a stack of resources in the in the resource folder. So if this is you, if you have a persistent low-lying placenta, you're the one who needs to make big, hard decisions. So if you're in that tiny percentage where your placenta hasn't moved up out of the way at your follow-up ultrasound, you've got some bigger decisions to make than the people whose placenta has moved. So big love if that's you that has to make those decisions. I do sincerely hope you have continuity of care so that you can really carefully discuss this with your clinician and you can give birth in a place that feels safest for you. Yeah. There I think we're done. That yeah. Basically, the summary is there's a really good chance it's going to move. Big love to you. Hopefully that decreases the worry and you can just actually enjoy your pregnancy and trust that it will move away. And if it doesn't, then there's some beautiful research to support you and your decision-making. And as always, it's your choice who you choose to give birth with and where, and you are totally able to change place of birth and care providers. We get emails and DMs all the time telling us that they've changed care, people have changed care providers just from listening to this podcast and how epically it's worked out for them. So hopefully that gives you a bit of energy if you're not getting care that aligns with you, even if the person's lovely, if the philosophy isn't aligning and you're not feeling like the care enables you to really step into your power if you feel like you're being intimidated or perhaps good girling through your pregnancy because of your care provider or place of birth, hopefully this all this research and our other episodes really gives you a little boost to do you and do what you need to do that feels right for you. Well, and, and that can be a cesarean and it can be a vaginal birth, whatever is right for you. There's no right or wrong. We're not here to do that. We're here to give you the evidence so that you can make a decision that lands in your body and goes, yeah that's what I want to do. And fortunately, because we do the ultrasound, you know, your first ultrasound is 18 to 20 weeks. You've got time to ask your care provider, if my placenta doesn't move and stays whichever distance it is, what options can you offer me for birth? And if it, if you get some red flags at that point, you've still got time to make other care options for your birth. If it seems as though your care provider is not going to offer you what you want if your placenta stays low-lying. All right, that's this week's episode, Rebels, and we hope it gave you what you needed if you came here with low-lying placenta. I'll see you in another episode, Legends. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> all right. <laughs>